Welcome to China in Context, episode 15. I'm Duncan Bartlett. Today we're going to talk about a complex yet fascinating relationship between China and a close-by country, South Korea. The nations don't share a border because they're separated by North Korea, and that in itself creates one of Asia's most intractable problems. South Korea is friendly to China. Well, most of the time, at least. Perhaps the best way to put it is that they're friendly rivals, with many overlapping interests and a few notable areas of disagreement. To give an example of a recent row, many people in South Korea seethed at claims that China invented kimchi, the national spicy dish of cabbage. Such cultural appropriation is an insult, they cried. The other far more serious issue, as far as China is concerned, is that South Korea is an ally of the United States. And when the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Seoul earlier on this year, he did his best to try to lure South Korea back into America's sphere of influence. Today, I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Rory Green, who's in Seoul. Rory Green is an economist covering China and North Asia at T.S. Lombard. He's been explaining South Korean issues to me for a good few years, and I always appreciate his insight. Rory, it's great to speak with you again. Hi, Duncan. Great, yeah, great to be on. Well, let's start with a question about China. It's the economic powerhouse of Asia. It's South Korea's leading trade partner. As an economist, how would you describe the relationship? Well, from an economic perspective, it's a very good, close relationship, uh, one that is getting um, ever tighter. Korea is one of the few countries in the world to run a trade surplus with China, largely thanks to its semiconductor exports. The countries have a, have a bilateral FTA, and they've just signed on to a broader FTA framework, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, um, the only FTA in the world to contain China, South Korea, and Japan. Um, and one that Korea will, will benefit from um, quite substantially with the further opening of the Chinese market to, to Korean goods and services. So a, a close economic relationship, getting closer with the only concern in Seoul that China is moving a little bit too far up the value chain and perhaps might start eating into some of Korea's um, market share. But at the moment, close and, and working well. So in terms of history, culture, identity, could you say something about the view among South Koreans when they're thinking about China? This is much trickier than the economic relationship, actually. There's a lot of shared history. Um, at various points in time, Korea has controlled parts of Manchuria, northern China. In turn, um, most Chinese dynasties have attempted to annex Korea with varying degrees of success. Um, shared culture with shared linguistic roots. Um, one of the common features that does unite Korea and China is a shared uh, wariness of Japan, the, the occupier during, during World War II. And as you alluded to um, in the introduction, there is a great sense uh, increasingly that China is actually attempting to appropriate Korean culture, particularly um, kimchi, which is the, uh, the topical item that, that you highlighted. So a complicated and contested cultural identity. 
Well, it seems that China's so-called wolf warrior approach to diplomacy is alienating some South Koreans. I mean, that issue of the kimchi, it did trigger some nationalist-tinged anger, didn't it? And when I looked at opinion polls recently, I was quite surprised to see that South Korean perceptions of China have grown similar to the way in which people in Japan view China. In other words, Mm -hmm. they've turned very negative. Now, that can't be all down to the kimchi, can it? It's not all kimchi, no. Uh, it's also about hanbok. It's the Korean national dress, and that's the latest uh, cultural uh, cultural war, really, between Korea and Chinese netizens. But no, in all seriousness, beyond kimchi and, and hanbok, um, the wolf warrior approach to diplomacy, Xi Jinping's more muscular foreign policy stance, is causing concerns in Seoul. Um, at the same time, China's incredible economic growth is in some ways threatening to Korea. There's growing large, powerful neighbor just across across the South China Sea, sorry, across the Yellow Sea. Um, and then you have COVID-19, which um, I mean, the origins are obviously open to debate, but it's still viewed as a, as a virus that originated in China and one that has caused a great deal of hardship here in Korea. So do you think people in South Korea fear China? I think there's certainly a rational wariness uh, on both economic and military on military fronts. So on the economic side, I mentioned they have a very good relationship, but it does put Korea uh, a certain over-reliance on China for economic growth. And that over-reliance is not just as a export market destination, but also as a source of tourists and a source of inbound spending. So this was really highlighted quite graphically uh, in 2017 with the THAAD incident, the Terminal High Altitude Air Defense uh, System, which is US made and in some cases US operated, was installed in South Korea and China reacted very strongly to this installation of of this uh, radar. and immediately banned tour groups to South Korea, which was very uh, damaging to certain parts of the Korean economy. And on mainland China, effectively ran Lotte out of business, ran it out of its China, it had to sell up its its China-based operations um, through all sorts of of non-tariff barriers. These Lotte stores were getting um, fire inspectors would suddenly turn up and announce that it suddenly didn't comply with the latest regulations and the the shop, this massive megastore would have to close. And it eventually pushed Lotte out of China. So um, there is wariness of this economic over-reliance and the potential that China could move up the value chain and eat into South Korea's um, semiconductor exports to two factors of economic wariness. And on the course on the military side, China is a a key backer of North Korea. Its defense spending is growing as rapidly as its economy. And Xi Jinping is is throwing his weight about. So they're the two areas of of concern, certainly, uh, with regards to Korea-China relations. Well, that's a good point, isn't it? That China is North Korea's only ally, if I can put it Mm. that way. 
Um, but the relationship between the US and South Korea, well, they're, they're officially allies. Is mm. there a sense now that Mr. Biden has taken over from Mr. Trump in the White House that things will become easier in that relationship politically? Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, the the rumours were that the, the Blue House, the Korean um, government, employed someone to watch uh, President Trump's Twitter feed at all times, such was the uh, the state of uh, uncertainty about the US-South Korea relationship. Um, but under, under President Biden, it, things are much smoother. They already have concluded a new military burden sharing agreement. So that already is a sign that communications are better, the relationship is more stable, and there's a sort of a, a sigh of relief, really, from, from Seoul. And yet Mr. Trump took a very personalised approach to North Korea. He even stepped onto North Korean territory when he took a few steps over the border in the demilitarised zone between North and South. Uh, so what do South Korean people think of Mr. Trump in that perspective? The view here was that it was a real opportunity with um, Mr. Trump uh, as president to make um, fairly substantial progress on North-South Korea relations. He, president Trump was willing to try new things. He threw out the idea of, of a hamburger summit. He met uh, Kim Jong-un in Vietnam, in Singapore, and there was a much greater flexibility to how America was engaging on the North Korea issue. And it was it appeared to be a fairly high priority for uh, President Trump. So with him out of office, Biden is returned to the status quo, North Korea way, way down the, the priority list for, for President Biden. And that's really lowered expectations um, for uh, the progress on the, on the DPRK issues. So do you see a sort of tug of war of influence now in terms of uh, South Korea's uh, relationships between China and the United States? Absolutely, yes. And this is really plays into a guns or butter, a military or economy dichotomy. Korea relies on China for economic growth, but in turn is part of the US nuclear umbrella. Thousands of US troops are stationed here. So you have this pull of the economic power of China versus the US security alliance. And this push and pull will, um, will continue and will intensify, I think, over the next five, 10 years. The armies of South Korea and the United States regularly carry out joint military exercises. Uh, because mm -hmm. South Korea still has obligatory military service for virtually all young men, that means that the country must have a great emotional stake, I imagine, in these war games, as Mr. Trump called them. Is there much political debate about whether those uh, exercises should continue? Um, there's not actually a huge amount of debate over the military exercises themselves. They're widely recognised as quite an important deterrent to North Korea and a deterrent that could also apply um, to, to China, in fact. So the question that is probably more divisive is, should there be part of any bargain that is offered to Kim Jong-un? Should these exercises be on the table and in exchange for abandonment of nuclear testing, South Korea and the US will give up some of these exercises? So that, that's probably where the question 
is most divisive. And of course, there are a lot is a lot of discussion over the national service uh, issue that you highlighted. It is a big part of male life in Korea. At the prime of your life, you're uh, plucked out of university in many cases to go serve in the army. So it, it's a, it is a big issue. Um, reform of, of the military here. It's interesting you mentioned that these exercises are not just to stand up to the perceived threat from North Korea, but they're also a challenge to China as well. How do you read China's view of them? I mean, China, of course, would would love for these exercises to stop as well. One of the, the barriers to North-South reunification is the fact that if reunification did occur, it would likely be on South Korean terms and bring potentially a US military base right up to the Yalu River on, on China's border. So that's always a big concern from Beijing is how close South Korea and the US are militarily and what that might entail should there ever be a, a more united Korea. You use the word reunification there. I, I've always thought that's a bit of a dream far off from the present situation because there's no diplomatic engagement at the moment between North and South Korea. And yet President Moon has repeatedly used speeches to, to, to make it sound as though it's just around the corner. So what's your reading of that situation? I, President Moon is... Is, is very hopeful in the terms of uh, north-south rapprochement. Um, I think reunification is still a long way off, but President Moon is a big proponent of the sunshine policy of engagement with North Korea. And he is hoping that we'll get a gradual progress of ever closer economic and cultural ties that will enable the two nations to coexist and perhaps gradually come together over the course of a number of years. So President Moon is really looking for restarting of joint economic initiatives, uh, even allowing some tourism, South Korea into North Korea, and gradually bringing these country, the countries closer together uh, before really even addressing the question of, of actual reunification in, in, into one country. Now, one theory that I've heard about China and North Korea is that China regards North Korea as a buffer state. And actually, it would rather like it to continue more or less as it is, because at least that means that an American ally, i.e. South Korea, doesn't have troops massed on the Chinese border. What do you make of this buffer state theory? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of credibility to, to, that, to that argument. Um, throughout history, Beijing has viewed Korea as a dagger pointed at the heart of China. You know, it's been the, the landing point for multiple invasions of uh, the Chinese heartland. Um, we saw how Chairman Mao reacted when US forces pushed up to the Yali River during the Korean War, a flood of the Red Army came to meet them, millions and millions of soldiers. So it's a, an issue that is very current in, um, in Chinese military strategic thinking and something that they will be um, concerned about in the event of reunification. And one reason that they are you know, relatively happy with the status quo, there's not a lot of incentives for them to, to kind of push for 
uh, closer north-south ties. I mean, you and I have been talking about South Korea for a good few years now, mm. uh, and there hasn't been any really big shift in the status quo, has there? I know that, uh, you know, we've seen different presidents and political parties in South Korea uh, moving from sort of centre-right to centre-left and so on, but still the US troops remain still this unresolved issue about the relationship between North and South and still this tension with China. I think, yes, that's right. I mean, the fundamentals are unchanged um, almost as they were since, since the Korean War. China remains the power broker in the North. The one thing that has changed is the relative economic and military power of South Korea is now much higher. Um, in many cases, doesn't really need the US as a, as a um, as a guarantor of security and the the military spending by President Moon has continued to increase. And in in a conventional war with North Korea, I think the South would would come out quite comfortably on top, albeit with with some losses. Um, so that that has changed, but the fundamentals of sort of a Cold War standoff, if you will, US-China remains and is unlikely to, to change at any time in the near future. Well, lastly, let me ask you then, from the South Korean perspective, probably from the point of view of this government, could you tell us what you think a satisfactory outcome to the relationship with China would be? A satisfactory one would be pure economics, very little uh, politics. They would, they would like to to keep trading, keep benefiting from China's growing economy and economic activity, and would like Beijing to be relatively restrained with its wolf warrior diplomacy and avoid dragging Korea into this burgeoning China-US uh, superpower confrontation. Well, that sounds like a very astute piece of analysis. And I wonder how many other countries around the world would like to keep trading with China <laughs> without thinking too much about the politics. Thanks very much, Rory. That's Rory Green, an economist at TS Lombard in Seoul. Next time, we'll be joined by another expert guest to give us a fresh perspective on China. This podcast is put together by the SOAS China Institute, which is part of the University of London. I hope that you'll take a look at our website to find out more about the college's activities and courses. The website is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, just uh, Google uh, SOAS China Institute or use another search engine and you should find us without a problem. But for now, that's it from the team here at China in Context. <laughs>